Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, February 20th. Happy President's slash Family Day. Uh, in North America, President's Day for those of us south of the border, and Family Day for those of us north of the border. Um, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Family Day for most of the provinces north of the border, not a holiday officially recognized in Quebec, though the benefit of being at a school paired with an Ontario school is we get that day off as well. Uh, and I've used my holiday rather manically on a project we'll probably talk about at some point during this episode. Uh, but it was kind of cool for the first time since November, October. As I was setting up and closing my curtains for the pod, there was still daylight. So that brought a bit of hope or uplift to my spirits, or maybe it was just the third cup of coffee of the day. How are you doing? We're on our way there. Uh, it, it is nice to see that it is only now getting dark at 6 p.m. It feels more, more normal. Um, really needed this long weekend. I am feeling much better than I did on Saturday. Uh, it was definitely burnt. Uh, from the week that was, and uh, and and just nice to have that extra day because I did play some frisbee this weekend. So even then, I felt physically burnt out. And today, truly, um, was a day where I could just relax. I I did go and see the new Ant Man movie. Um, didn't blow my mind, but it was a nice turn your brain off and watch film. Of course, as as most of the Marvel entries are, so can't complain. And uh, and yeah ready to go kick the next week in the butt as as we get here to the end of monday yeah so i think everyone in some way starts a podcast and kind of treats it as open mic therapy i swear like no more than that is this uh lead up me trying to get through therapy but i did actually see a therapist for like four weeks some years ago and it was centered around dreams uh, that was his whole thing. And I said in the first week, like, I never really remember my dreams. He's like, don't worry. Like, once you open your mind and, like, you know that's what we're here doing as this project, like, you'll start to remember your dreams and just write them down first thing in the morning. And much like that, though, this is the third week of truly stupid or terribly stupid or stupidly terrible. And it flooded for me. I, I've got too many to pick from, and I, I actually can't. So uh, I'm going to give you the headline list, and uh, let you pick one headline, and we'll delve okay. into that for a couple minutes. So here we go. On Twitter, a doctor lies about writing a sentence in a medical textbook um, to try and get a journalist to revoke something they'd written, and it turns out the author of that actual sentence had never heard of the guy. Uh, who made that claim. Um, one of the most genuinely transphobic rants I've ever seen in my life on Twitter that was just straight up vile and terrible. Uh, someone ran on the stage while my favorite band in the world was performance and hurled uh, insults at them and kind of tried to assault one of them. Uh, the UK is altering and censoring uh, child book writer Roald Dahl. Netflix hates students and families in Canada, or just some good old Republican hypocrisy in Florida. Good lord, what a list. Uh, 
I think I just got to take it with the one that I think I can speak the most on, and that is Netflix. <laughs> I thought we might I thought there. they had already tried rolling this out. It was um, so weird. There was this, like, thing where they said they were going to do this Wi-Fi restriction where you need to log in. Everyone got upset, and they, they panicked, and were like, that was a mistake. And then a week later, they basically announced the same thing. Yeah. I think you get through the first wave of shock and and frustration uh, from from your subscriber base, and then you relaunch it after everyone's calmed <laughs> down, maybe to a lesser extent. So they're now asking for a primary location on the on the service that I believe you have to check in once every couple of months. Is that is that kind of how it's working out? So your account sets a primary location and any member of the account can use any device on the Wi-Fi network of that primary location. And from then on, you have to pay an additional $8 a month for any, uh, is the way I understand it, for any other. Uh, now, I don't know how, if you take a trip somewhere for a week, it maintains, like there might be some time referral, uh, but it's basically just a giant fuck you to any like university students are the easiest uh, yeah. example where clearly not a group you'd expect to have the financial independence to be buying their own subscriptions and one where it's perfectly plausible. Um, I, I think we're both in a situation where after that we stay on our family's plan. Uh, of course, like the uncles, aunts, grandparents, there's some sharing okay. that goes around as well. Um, and then you get more into the friends sharing accounts, which like, I don't, in Netflix's head, I don't know if it's all just white collar fam, like groups of friends who could each like afford the subscription and are choosing to split it to save, but it feels like there's a, this goes into effect tomorrow, I believe. Uh, yeah. So thank you for the reminder to go and turn off Netflix from my TV tomorrow <laughs> or tonight. Um, and my computer and my phone, et cetera, et cetera. It, yeah, you, it's, you hit it right on the head is how can they expect people to A, afford this, or B, choose to just ax it because they have so many competitors now. Yeah. And until someone else rolls it out, why do I need Netflix if I can go to HBO Max or I can go to Amazon Prime or I can go to Crave or... Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera, Apple TV Plus, and and get any of the Netflix shows illegally. Um, obviously, your the market you mentioned is going to pay the extra cost because they can afford it, but you're going to lose out on that generation of folks who are smart enough to work their way around it. Now, studies have shown if you build a legit thing people will pay for content people will pay for netflix they're less likely to illegally stream and they will pay for the sports providers as well i've heard a lot of research on that recently but there's a there's a level to it right people are going to watch their subscriptions there's new products that help them watch their subscriptions and they're not going to pay an obscene price uh and and it's just there's too many other competitors out there with great content netflix doesn't have that same stranglehold that they might have had five six years ago yeah and i guess 
three things. One, they seem to know it's risky. They're rolling it out in seven or eight countries. I think Canada, Australia, Spain, Portugal, and a couple more. They're not rolling it out in the US. And I don't think the UK was a country as well where they're trying this out. And there has been a lot of talk online about canceling subscriptions. I, I feel like it's probably that phenomena where there's a lot of upvotes, a lot of comments and relative to a normal thing. And you think there's all this activity and buzz around it, um, but it's an extremely online perspective. I don't know how many people who stayed free of the internet forums and Twitter and such will be canceling their Netflix. Uh, two last things to touch on. The move feels incredibly tone deaf. As you said, there's plenty of service or streaming providers where you don't need to pay this extra like 8 to $16 as a family uh, to get easy access to watchable, enjoyable content. And two, it's in the middle of fucking inflation. Like Canada just finished a grocery price freeze and uh, this month we've seen a bunch of stuff rise again, like 50 cents to a dollar. So that eight bucks a month comes at a time where people might be more acutely aware of it. Um, so the fact that it is just a trial rollout in certain countries gives me a tiny bit of hope, uh, but we'll see. Uh, but oh, you didn't give me your verdict. Terribly stupid or stupidly terrible? Stupidly terrible. This is just this is just stupidly terrible for all of our Netflix users. And I'm just scrolling through all of the devices we have on our Netflix <laughs> account and it's giving me the sweats. <laughs> well, rest in peace, Netflix, 2012 to 2023. Uh, from a night my family just decided we didn't feel like making the 10 minute walk out to the DVD rental store, you were enjoyed. All right, on to sports. So the project I've been working on manically all day has been a newsletter that will accompany this podcast um, for the future, hopefully, as long as this project remains. Uh, today's issue is a playoff race update for both the NBA and the NHL, kind of going into depth in different tierings and rankings of where teams sit in terms of how much they've locked up that playoff spot where the competition groups are and what exactly they're fighting for at this point in the season with the NBA having about 20 games left and the NHL about 25 or so for each team. Uh, the point of this letter is that we don't have to spend 30 seconds to two minutes feeling the need to touch and talk on every team. So if that's content that interests you, there will be a link in the podcast notes where you can read all up about that still figuring out how the podcast will interplay with that content. Um, but for this episode here, I think we'll mostly be staying away from it and uh, touching around on some stories and events going on elsewhere around the league. So where do you want to start out? NBA All-Star Weekend just happened. And overall, weekend was meh doesn't really move the needle in any direction for me. My thoughts are already well documented on the entirety of the thought of all-star games and events and competitions. I watched a bit of the skills competition in between periods of the Leafs game on Saturday. Same with the NBA all-star game. Uh, watched the dunk contest highlights because it was on far too late for someone like me. And 
I got to say the most exciting bit was the part I watched on my phone the next day of Mac McClung showing off elite athleticism, pardon me, uh, and, and someone who casual fans never heard of, didn't even know his name, didn't even know he was on the Philadelphia 76ers because he wasn't until a week before where he got a two-day contract. And and he showed up and he put on a show and made a name for himself. And uh, I forget who it was. I think Reggie Miller was saying a star is born tonight. Uh, the star was born back in high school when he was doing all of these dunks and and was on overtime hoops and, and all that great stuff. But he was the best part of the weekend. Lillard wins a three-point competition. Uh, the What was it? The Antetokounmpo's won the skills competition. And Team Giannis wins the All-Star game with both captains sitting out for at least half of the game. Giannis only win for the first play. LeBron sitting out at halftime due to a hand contusion he got from dunking it too hard off the rim. Uh, he was looking for a block on Siakam, but yeah. Yeah, well, he did get shade like a couple plays later uh, with a block on his dunk attempt. But overall, again, what you have here in our notes is dunk contest, All-Star game, needs more incentive i don't think there will ever be an incentive so you just make it as gimmicky and as fun as possible for the younger audience and bring them in um unless there is real stakes that you can add to this game i don't think we're going to see any changes in the near future and the risk of injury is far too great the the players have gotten too smart and the idea of costing yourself lifetime earning potential for one shot at earning potential with this dunk contest just it far outweighs it now and they're they're john moran himself was saying i need a billion likes on twitter to do the dunk contest zion actually said he might do it next year but really he's the only one who's shown any interest uh it's it's gonna be continuously either really young guys or g leaders like this for many many years to come yeah um, during the all-star game the courtside reporter talked to both Anthony Edwards and John Morant on the bench. He asked Edwards, will you ever do the contests? And then said no. He didn't even bother asking Jock because he'd already made his position clear. It's just a shame because it's a tradition that once was. Um, like thinking about the Dwight Howard Superman, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan all participated in this at one point or another. Uh, Vince Carter did such legendary stuff. Uh, there was a time when these league leaders were a part of it and they can just move the needle in a far more substantial way than someone no, whose name no one's ever heard before will ever be able to. And uh, knowing that that possibility has existed and seems to have been eliminated is a bit sad um but yeah i certainly wouldn't want to be the fan of the team who now doesn't have a shot at the playoffs because their superstar did something silly or ended up in an unfortunate situation during the all-star week i more lean to the side of can we just scrap the whole thing in the first place but it, it does generate revenue so i'm told it does hold interest for younger fans so you say uh, so if it's doing some good, it, I guess, why not? Um, it, it's just, it feels like there should, it's more the game itself that bothers me. And I think it starts there 
if you wanted to ever build the dunk contest back in and it should feels like there should be some level of play where it's not just free dunks and players feel like the only way they can entertain themselves on offense is shooting threes from 40 feet out uh, there should be some level of like yo Embiid was setting screens for Jokic and then rolling to the net and I want more of that content that was fantastic to see and i want to see like a defense legitimately try and do something about it and we never got that chance so that's where the disappointment is for me the very first year they introduced the elam ending there was an intensity to that all-star game as it got down to the end if you can recall i think that was 2019 but it again has has died back down you get that one introduction in the new rule players are excited about it and then they get back to the same old same old i think if you shorten the game and you make it so that they have to score to a certain number and you add not only the charity aspect but some level of incentive for the players just a little bit money going their way um or even if it's a competitive advantage where they get an extra bit of money in the salary cap or what they can spend to for, for a buyout guy. Um, something small, but maybe lights the fire under them. So we just get at least 12 minutes, like a quarter of exciting basketball. Um, that's worth it to me. That, that would be it. You don't, you don't need a full game. I think it, it drags on, but maybe if you did two quarters, of of one for charity that where they like get to do all the cool stuff and then one where they actually try and play a little bit yeah well we'll touch more on it next year yeah yeah all right well oh yeah all in all nba all-star game Happened. came and went yep and now we get in the stretch run of the season which will be very very exciting cannot wait for that uh and and right at the end of all the festivities we do get an important name on the move uh, to potentially shake up the scene, adding uh, another interesting storyline to a Western Conference team, although he was just there. Russell Westbrook moving down the street from the Lakers, and he will be joining the Clippers after a buyout uh, by who was he even traded to? Minnesota or Utah? Utah? Yeah, the Jazz. And... He will be joining this team who just tried this exact move with John Wall and realized they had to bail on him. And now they add a guy who should not be playing more than 20 minutes a night, in my opinion, if he's going to be on this team. He should not be starting. He should not be closing. He should be the guy who comes in and it is a chaotic wrecking ball with shooters all around him. Um, and then you have your closing lineup in the end with with Kawhi and Paul George. But it's another one of those things where Paul George loved playing with him and the players in the league love him, but he just hasn't shown that he can be conducive to winning at this point in his career because he thinks he's the best player on the floor, but puts up low efficiency numbers and doesn't contribute a ton on the defensive end. And I love watching Westbrook and I still want him to have a success at this point in his career, but he just has to make the adjustment and someone has to provide him with a role adjustment for him to be truly impactful at this stage. If I didn't have such strong deja vu from saying this sentence of here's a team with two star players who have had consistent injury troubles and need someone to help in the minutes where they're off to help keep the level of this team high. 
I might think this was a great idea. But we just watched that experiment play out for one and a half years and have finally seen the Lakers bail on it. Um, so there's two aspects to this. And the first is the insurmountable one, which seems to be the ego. Like, can Russell Westbrook ex accept a bench role that sees him do 20 minutes, that sees him play third, fourth, fifth fiddle on the team, and really buy into that role and contribute everything to just the winning of the team? Maybe Ty Lue's got a better... I think Ty Lue does have a better chance than uh, Darvin Ham, at least, at making that happen. Um, what the Clippers have going for them over the Lakers is the salary cap. The Lakers had to really sacrifice some depth role-playing at the starting level in order to acquire Westbrook, and as much as he, the low-efficiency uh, documentation of his style of play is out there, uh, let's not kid ourselves about what the lineup of the Lakers have looked like over the last two years, and Westbrook should have a better chance with the Clippers to make something happen. Um, but it really does feel like repeating ourselves over and over. Like, he has some value and some things his play style can bring to a team uh, that teams want to have. Uh, but he comes as a whole package, and no team has been able to trim the unwanted fat from that package, really, so far. Uh, so we'll see the Clippers. I can fix him. The biggest difference at this point now is the cap hit, the Lakers did it and got burned for a max salary. The Clippers now can take him on at little to no risk. They can cut him. It's not going to count heavily against the cap at this point if if things don't work out. So you get it from that respect. But again, we just went through all of the play fit details. And so uh, I understand taking a shot. It's just... You didn't need it at this point with, with their team starting to play the way it is. I mean, they really were looking hard for a point guard this offseason, or this past season, these past few weeks before the trade deadline. They wanted Van Fleet. They were thinking about Lowry. Uh, weren't able to make either of those happen. So they take another swing, like you said, at little to no risk. And uh, the, you wonder, I, I feel like it, almost feels stupid to suggest, but like after an entire career of ignoring the shouting from the sidelines, could this last two weeks have taught Westbrook anything? Probably not, but we'll see. We shall see. Speaking of players on the move, we go into talking hockey ah, where baby. the Leafs make their biggest trade in 20 years and go out and get Ryan O'Reilly from the St. Louis Blues, uh, along with Noel Achari, who has already greatly uh, inundated himself, and and I've been all over this guy. I think he's fantastic early on. Uh, another great get, and and they pay a steep price. Well, I think it was first, a second, a third, and a fourth of varying degrees, as well as two mid-tier prospects who I don't think anyone will end up missing. And 
They do get Ryan O'Reilly's salary 75% retained by two different teams, Minnesota and St. Louis, uh, in a three-teamer. And the first thought of mine is just, holy crap, (laughs) Ryan O'Reilly's a Leaf, and we already saw it. In the first two games, he has an assist. Uh, He doesn't have a goal yet, but takes a second to get used to playing with different players on different lines in a different system. And you just see all the tools there for him. He's had his chances. Uh, He's defensively responsible. He's hard to take the puck off of him, and he does a great job taking the puck from other people. Um, And and a player who will step right into this team and and fit in wherever they want to put him, which is an underrated piece of this trade. I have so many more things to say, Max, but I want to hear your first thoughts on it as well. Yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is the type of player where if the Olympics were happening this year, you'd see the GM draft him and you'd maybe be a little disappointed to not just have absolute fire star power um, from position one to position 12 on offense. Uh, But those GMs and coaches know what they're doing and uh, know how to add the different kinds of pieces. I think as you sort of alluded to there's nothing but good things that get brought to the team uh, from ryan o'reilly he's not going to hurt you in any way as for the price this will be the third year in the row that the leafs do not make a pick in the first round of the draft Uh, so you wonder in the future what that's going to look like for this team and if there's a deficit of assets and that runs us into any trouble but being the last year of Dubas's contract uh, with like a 90% chance we're going to face the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs again. It's an arms race. And I I think at 32 years old, you can still expect relatively good things. Uh, I don't think there's a dip too far out of prime yet. I think it's more the situation of the Blues. And compared to giving up a first for Nick Foligno, this trade makes me pretty happy. Um, the The hesitation is now we've given up most of the trading assets we have. It's hard to imagine we manage any other big acquisitions. And center is probably the spot where we already had the most, most depth. It's defense and goaltending where you worry more. Uh, but this was the biggest value out there on the market. And I, I don't... I think after this year, uh, paying this doesn't kneecap us too, too much moving forward. Uh, So make a moderate payment, get a big gain, uh, have one more weapon in the arms race that's coming this playoffs. I'm all for it. Two more weapons. Nola Chari scored his first goal last night and uh, and has looked great so far and and a valuable right-handed face-off taker. Uh, yeah, I really love what he's provided so far too. This trade, I think, is is beloved by not only the younger generation uh, who just knew we had to go get a big name. The price that was paid was steep, but this is the window. It is now, right? It, like, the the picks mean very little to a team that expects to be picking 25 through 30 for the next five, six, seven years with the core that they have. So they don't give up anything truly tangible that we've seen yet. Even kept Matthew Nyes, who could just be the final piece to this forward core. 
and they go out and get a massive name that gives them so much more versatility. And and the older generation loves it too, because you get a guy who walks into that locker room. There's no drama. He's going to get right to work. He's a pro's pro. He provides a little bit of sandpaper along with Nolachari, who provides a little bit of sandpaper. So it makes them meaner, but it also makes them better. And I think in the past, Dubas went shopping. When he got Jack Campbell, he got Kyle Clifford, right? And, and when he got Jake Muzzin, he got, was it Kyle Clifford? <laughs> I think he acquired him twice. But some of the swings that Dubas has taken in the past on the on the grinders, on the meat and potatoes of this lineup are barely hitting the rotation on the fourth line. These two guys are bonafide staples in your lineup that also provide that heft and help make everyone else's lives easier in that forward core. I don't think Dubas is done. There is going to be another move there. You've depleted the assets significantly, but you still have Matthew Nice, and there still are some other interesting prospects and further out into the future picks that you have to make a a deal go through. Um, And so I am thrilled with the fact that it doesn't feel like they gave up anything A-tier to get an A-tier guy. That's it. Uh, I think the NBA has kind of wrecked my perspective on what is and isn't like a lot to give up because now I read just one first round pick. Like that's absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, it it does. I'm curious to see what our lineup looks like come playoff time uh, I, with Keefe's propensity to throw anything less than 100% chemistry into the blender. I really don't know. You either have crazy depth up and down the middle, or you have a really, really good top six. I mean, it, if you've got that Matthews Nylander bunting line, and then that Tavares Marner O'Reilly line, like I'm not even saying first or second line because I think on any given night you don't know. Um, but that is like truly a two-headed monster, and with the addition of Akari and a bottom six that's held steady throughout the season, I don't feel like it's lacking even without O'Reilly, though obviously a line that looks at like a Kerfoot O'Reilly and I don't know who your third guy is could do some serious damage too. So I'm very, very excited. The clown makeup's coming back (laughs) Oh, The minor concern I have seen so far is the foot speed on that that second line with O'Reilly and Tavares, like, they're fantastic, but I think Marner needs someone who's a little bit more fleet of foot on that line. So I could very likely see and Max. Uh, we could see Ryan O'Reilly centering Matthews and Nylander, which would be gnarly. And then you've got a Kerfoot, Marner, Tavares second line, and Bunting actually drops into your bottom six where he can fully embrace the role of being everyone's least favorite player to play against. And, and yeah, it's just... The options are increased, and Sheldon Keith loves having more options, and I love seeing more options out there. Uh, so really, really exciting trade, and yeah, biggest one they've made in a while. They're ready to go all in. And I mean, the core hasn't shown that they deserve to be bet on, but this is the time to do it on paper. Yeah, it, it, we're really entering, like, why, why not at this point? Um, it, no one wants to look back at 10 years straight of first round playoff exits. Huh. 
as exciting as that will be during the playoffs right now, uh, other than seeing how these pieces fit together, I'd say the Leafs regular season relatively boring compared to other parts around the league. I'm going to touch on that article alluded to earlier a little bit here. And oh, the wild card race for the East is where it's at in the NHL right now. Basically, we've got seven teams competing for two spots, and it is anyone's race uh, between the Penguins, the Islanders, the Red Wings, the Sabres, the Senators, and the, the Capitals, and the Panthers. Um, there is a very small spread between these teams, uh, unless one of the top three teams in the Atlantic or Metropolitan has a serious losing streak. I don't really see any of these seven teams touching them, uh, but they've all kind of got to stay above 500. They can't have any like four or five game losing streaks, or they're basically out. And uh, every time they play against each other, where those games have twice as much significant, it's going to be really interesting. And there seems to be like four or five of those matchups a week. So that's what I'm looking forward to tracking over the next few weeks and seeing how they shape out. Yeah, a lot of the teams in the mix there. It's funny. The Ottawa Senators who had all of these grand aspirations of making the playoffs and then we wrote them off very early in the season. 7-2-1 and one in their last 10 and they're playing fun hockey and Timmy Stutzel is on a point streak and he's starting to figure things out and the pieces are finally starting to gel and they're getting legitimate goaltending now, finally. Uh, and and so yeah, fun little run here. I don't think they're gonna be one of the teams in the mix, but it it does feel kind of like the Islanders with that Horvat move believe they're gonna be in there. The Penguins with Crosby, those feel like the top two front runners for me in the wild card race, just with the experience factor of those teams. But really fun one that we'll get to document here down the stretch. Absolutely. Wrapping up with a bit of tennis talk, uh, we had three events happening this week. I'm just going to touch on the one in Rotterdam as it was a 500 level event and had the, I still don't know how to say it, best condensation of top 20 players, most stacked draw, uh, take what you will. Uh, it alleged to be a really, really fun quarter semifinals, and we didn't quite get that. A lot of second-round upsets with uh, Zverev dropping out in the second round, Hercatch dropping out in the second round, Rublev dropped out in the first round, Tsitsipas and Sinner played in the second round, so only one could make it fourth, and Sinner got his revenge on the Greek after the Australian Open. Uh, Daniel Medvedev snaps a nine-match losing streak against top 10 players to beat Felix Auger-Aliassime, who was the defending champion in the quarterfinals. And then uh, Sinner and Medvedev both advanced through the semis against players who had uh, managed a couple upsets. It was a really fun three sets of tennis, so uh, Sinner kind of, I mean... Without the Wimbledon points, a bit low. Medvedev's struggles have been pretty well documented. Um, but it was really enjoyable tennis from both. Uh, Medvedev's, like, one of the most unique styles on tour. And uh, it seems very well suited to the big hitter, or to counter the big hitter style of guys like Sinner. Uh, but Yannick showed himself well, especially in the first set. A ridiculous number of nine plus shot rallies. I think there were 30 in the first set. Like, 
some matches don't even quite make it to that. And uh, at the start, Sinner won 18 of those 30. Uh, he pulled ahead early, uh, got broken in that first set, but uh, was able to just hang in there. Uh, these long rallies, they were just, they were patience, they were consistency, being able to hold the nerves, not pull the trigger too early, but still taking an intelligent shot making and trying to find where the advantage for you to pull the trigger will happen each point. Um, I thought both players did well defending from any position and didn't have one weak spot that could be endlessly exploited. It was more about waiting for the guy to drop it just a little too shallow and be able to cut the angle right on the winner across the side of the court or um, really get a lot of power on that change of direction and end your opponent that way. Medvedev was able to pick up steam, though, in the second set. Um, there had kind of been a net bounce for Sinner that helped him get the set in the first, and uh, the ball just righted that karma early in the second that got Medvedev his break. He never really looked back. Uh, the serving had also been a bit uncharacteristically low for him in that first set, and he was able to bring that up a bit, and that let him fight off less break points, and that really brought the suffocation on Sinner, who had been fighting the break points in that first set, but he was able to take the challenge to Medvedev as well on Medvedev's serve, and that kind of afforded him some breathing room. Uh, whereas when he was having to constantly fight off break points or uh, be in these 40-30 situations and Medvedev was never in them, that's when you saw the dip in ability to fend off those points. 6-2, 6-2 in the second and third sets uh, for Medvedev. So we'll see. That's he's he won the five hundred tournament in Vienna in November October of last year. Uh, he had to play against a very inspired Corda in Australia. So the season's still early. We don't really know what the next couple months looks like for Medvedev before clay season. Uh, but it's a promising start if you're a fan of his. And yeah, we'll have both we'll have Medvedev competing again in Qatar in another pretty loaded one uh Sinner the mad lad will play his third in as many weeks in Marseille slightly less stacked draw though man I, I think it was just the terribly stupid or stupidly terrible collection but there wasn't a whole lot of awesome for me going on this week uh I follow way too much trans content, but there, yeah, the New York well. Times did uh, recommit to journalism mean, against activists, so I'm going to go with that for my This Week in Awesome. Yeah, my awesome was getting through the week, so thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> Episode 170-something, wow, of Sports Next Door, signing off.